0: Lord, we, we want all of this to be about you. We, we don't want to be served right now. We don't want to be entertained. We want to, our eyes to be fixed on Jesus so he can write out our faith, perfect our faith, finish it, bring it to completion. Uh, we need transformation. And so we ask that you would do that work in us through your word. Uh, Father, we ask that you would make it come alive. Give us the ears that we need to hear, ears that work, spiritual ears that give us spiritual understanding so that there can be an effect in us, a change so that we leave different than the way we came in this morning. Uh, That can only come by the power of Your Word and Your Holy Spirit illuminating us, massaging that truth deep into our hearts, Lord. And that's our prayer. We ask that You would do that now. May we have a Christ encounter in Your Word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> uh, we're in a series in, in Jesus' parables, and not all of his parables, but certain parables that Matthew put together for a specific reason. These parables describe what the kingdom of God is look, looks like in this world. Um, and as I was dwelling on the message for this week, I, I thought, you know, sometimes it, it looks very discouraging. Because when we when we come into our huddle, that's what this is, this is our huddle, right? And there's there's screaming people out there and there's another team out there and there's a lot of things going out there, but this is our locker room, you know, huddle right here. And it's easy to pump ourselves up and and give each other high fives and slap each other in the helmets, you know, but then when we get out on the field it, it gets real scary real fast. The other team is bigger and there's you know, all the fans are booing us and it's hard to live the Christian life out there because we're not normal, you know. Normal is what most people are doing, and then what the few are doing—that's out of the norm. And then what the minuscule amount are doing—that's abnormal. And some of us feel like we're the abnormal people out there. Uh, when you turn on the news, when you're, you're listening to debates about marriage or what marriage is supposed to be, and and uh, you're at your 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 uh, at lunch with some coworkers and. We're talking about things and you're, they're talking about how they live their life and what they did last night and all these kinds of things. You realize this is very weird. I'm very weird to them. And this is what the world is like. And we come into church and we pump ourselves up a little bit and we, you know, bleed with each other, cry with each other a little bit. And then we go back into the scary world. And what Jesus wanted to do was prepare his disciples for the kind of world they're going to live in. The disciples had a very different understanding. They had a takeover mentality. Jesus is here. He's king. That's it. You know, let's take over Rome. Let's take over. Let's, you know, get the Pharisees out of here. They don't know what they're doing. And let's take over. And Jesus was saying, well, oh, this that's not what it's going to look like. That, that's not what this is going to look like. There will come a time when I come and take over. But right now, that that's not what it's that's not what's happening here. And so I don't know about you, sometimes I feel like maybe we tuck our tail between the legs a little bit and just kind of duck down and get through this till Jesus comes back. But Jesus told a series of stories to kind of give us a picture of what it's supposed to look like, what what the church in this world is supposed to look like. And we're going to see that one of those stories in Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, first book of the New Testament, and flip over to chapter 13. And we'll read that parable, that story together. Matthew 13. I need you there because this isn't my story. You don't want to hear what I have to say. We want to hear what the Savior said. If you skip down to verse 24, we're picking up where we left off last week. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, Now, we made mention of this last week, but Jesus is teaching these parables to the crowds. But all he did was teach them in parables. We we looked at it last week, and if you drop your eyes down to verse 34 and 35, it repeats it again. This is how Jesus taught. He didn't explain anything to the crowds. He didn't say, now the man represents this. He just said, there was a man. This is what happened. There were seeds. There was a field. Good night. I mean, that's all he would say. And so the crowds were dumbfounded, and, but they still flocked to him. There's still something there that they know there's, there's something awesome about what he's saying, but they can't really access it. The disciples had faith. They couldn't understand it, but they would get him, they'd get him alone later in the evening, and they'd say, you know, we, we don't want to embarrass ourselves and ask in front of people, but now that we have you alone, can you please help us out? I, I don't understand what is, what is happening there. Um, and so Jesus... Explains it to them. Here's a story. It's similar to the one that we looked at last week, but it's different. Here's a man who sows seed in his field. Someone comes in the middle of the night while everyone's sleeping and sows bad seed. So now this is going to be a mixed crop in the same field. There's going to be wheat that's good and healthy and strong. It's going to be good to produce food and it's going to produce grain. And then there's also going to be weeds. Now, this particular type of seed that was sown, uh, Scholars tell us it was, a, it was probably what they call darnel. It was a, a seed that looked just like wheat, so it was easy to confuse it. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell until it starts sprouting and reaches a, a certain level of maturity. Then you can kind of tell, wait a minute, this is not all wheat here. There's weeds mixed in. And then uh, the, the workers notice it. They notice, wait a minute, this stuff that's growing is not all wheat. Did, did Master have a mixed bag? Did he mess up? Did he not check his inventory? What's happening? So they go to the master and said, well, I thought you sowed only good seed. He says, I did. But an enemy came and sowed bad seed. They said, well, let's go in there and tear this whole thing up and start over again. And the master said, no, no, let's not do that because then you're going to damage the wheat. Let them grow together and there'll come a time, harvest time, when we come with the sickle, take them all up, then separate them, some to get burned, some to go in my barn. Disciples pull Jesus aside. What in the world are you saying? Because we know that you're not, you know, starting a farming industry here. We know you're not just teaching us how to, you know, plant seeds. What is the meaning behind this? And as is the case with all the other parables in Matthew 13 that he puts in here, Jesus says this parable is about the kingdom and what the kingdom is going to look like in this world. And he gives us the explanation, thank God, in verse 36, okay? So there's not a whole lot of guesswork here. Jesus gives us the connections. He connects the dots for us in verse 36 and following. He then left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. That was a weird one. You know, maybe there was a lot of parables being told, but this one Something, a bell went off and they said, we, we really need to understand this one. And he answered, the one who sows the seed, the master of the field, that's the son of man. And throughout Matthew refers to himself as a son of man. So there's no doubt, there's no question whatsoever that Jesus is saying, the one who's sowing that seed, the one who's starting that field of wheat, that's me. That's Jesus. And he says, the field is the world. This is what the world is like. Different kinds of people growing in it. He said there's two kinds of people. There's good seed, and those are the sons of the kingdom. That's in verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, that's you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you follow him, you're a disciple, that's you. And you're in this world. And God put you here. And he saved you. And he grafted you into his family. And you're wheat. And you produce grain, you're supposed to produce crop. However, there's another kind of people in this world. In verse 38, second half, he says, The weeds, they're the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So, obviously, Christians don't live alone in this world. There are weeds, there are people who don't believe in Jesus, they don't produce crop. We get all mad when they don't produce crop. We get all upset when they don't define marriage our way. We get all upset when they don't you know, see the sanctity of life the way we see it. We get all mad when they don't see things the way the Bible sees it. But they're out there, and they're a product of a work of a real person who is evil. And he, he's working behind the scenes to make sure that they're doing evil. He, he's not comfortable to just, let's just see what happens with Christians. He wants to mess the kingdom up. And so as God is doing a work through Jesus Christ and producing a kingdom, the enemy is harder at work. Not harder at work than what Jesus is, but he, his level of intensity goes up now that Jesus is coming and introducing this, this new covenant, this new kingdom. And so, so Satan works overtime to, 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 to mess that up, to mix it up, to mix in evil Evil people, evil deeds. Everyone is not seething with hatred against Christ, but anyone who's not a son of Jesus Christ is somehow influenced by the enemy. Used by, influenced by, under his thumb, under his oppression. So there's two kinds of people in this world sons of the kingdom and sons of the devil. The enemy who sold them is the devil. And at the end of verse 39, he says, The harvest, you know, at the end of the age when the master said, I'm going I'm to finally at one day, leave them alone for now, but one day finally I'm going to come in, we're going to come in with the sickle, we're going to get all this stuff out, and then there's going to be a great separation between the wheat and the weeds. What does that symbolize? He said, The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. We think of angels. If you guys have your little china cabinet and in there you like to collect little ceramic angels and they're all like with blush and kind of glowy with little cute halos and they play little harps. Maybe read the Bible and you might want to sell those at a garage sale. Who Who killed all those people in Egypt? When, when death took over the land, and the only way to escape death was the blood of the lamb that they would put on the post and then hide inside the house. Don't step foot outside this house. An angel. Who's going to deliver people to hell at the end of the age? Angels. And I'm not saying they do it with glee or do it with joy. They're, they're not demons. They're not fallen angels, but they, they carry out the commands of the Lord. And there will come a time When those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ will experience an eternal death. All those who are weeds, all those who are not in the kingdom, all those who do not know the Son of Man will be cast into something that can be described as a fiery furnace. Some people say, well, maybe it's not a literal furnace, like a literal fire. That's the best analogy he could come up with to describe the anguish. So if it's not a literal fire, maybe it's something worse. I wouldn't take the gamble. It's going to produce weeping. It's going to produce gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is a phrase that is used throughout the Bible, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean grinding their teeth out of, out of pain, but you would gnash your teeth against someone that you're mad at. You know, you told your child, turn off the Xbox, and they gnash their teeth at you. That's That's the the emphasis behind that phrase. And so there's weeping, and of course there's pain. That's what you would experience in a fiery furnace. You're getting, there's, there's pain there, there's suffering. But they're not repentant. They're evil. And they hate God for it. They hate God for it. Just as they were against the kingdom and against Christ in this age, they'll always be that way. And they'll always gnash their teeth against the Lord. Then verse 43 says, then the righteous will shine like the sun. You think of wheat that's collected and, and bound together, and the sun is setting, and it's it, the wheat is shining. It's a it's field of gold. They're going to enjoy the kingdom of the Father. They'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. Right there, we know he's tipping his cap. He's not saying, I'm not, I'm not just telling a story to describe how things are and You walk away and you go, well, I guess I'm either in one or the other. I guess he's just describing what is and what are you going to do about it, you know? No, if you have ears to hear, hear this. In other words, like, if you get what I'm saying, do something about it. And so this story is supposed to prompt us to be different. This story is supposed to prompt us to do something. This story is supposed to prompt us to act. It's not supposed to just fill our head with knowledge and we get a little better understanding of what the kingdom is like, but... We're supposed to live in a certain way in light of this message. And there's so many things we could pick apart here, but I, th- I think the, the thrust, the main emphasis in this passage is that there's one field and two kinds of people, and they live together. May you and I know from experience there's a lot more weed than wheat. You know, the enemy didn't come and just put one for one. The enemy came and just, like, dumped as much as he possibly could. So maybe every wheat is surrounded by 6, 7, 8, 10, 20 weeds. The point is not the ratio. The point is the coexistence, the, the mixture. Now, we don't take this and go, let, let's get all those goofy bumper stickers that say coexist and like the, the, the different font, each letter represents a different religion. That's ridiculous. Okay, because the, the one that represents Islam wants to kill all the other ones. For instance, so the coexisting, we we don't look at this and go, oh, we're supposed to all just get along. No, that's not what he's saying. An enemy doesn't do it to have fun, or that's kind of a boring field. Let's mix things up a little bit and have some different worldviews. The enemy hates the master and wants to mess up the field. He wants to stunt the growth of the wheat in the field. He wants to choke them out. He wants to drown them. He wants to quiet them. He wants to make sure they're the extreme minority. And so he sows as much as he can and pumps as much evil, wrong, uh, bad doctrine, disbelief into the world as he can. Inject as much of it as he can to stifle the kingdom, stop the kingdom, scare the kingdom kids. So it's a, it's a mixed field. And what he's saying is, guys, when well, we want to know how to live in this world, the answer can't be to eliminate them. Maybe that's what some of the disciples wanted to do. I mean, Peter's cutting off ears, you know. I mean, you had people that just want to just take over um, the Crusades. All oh, the people are, you know, in the land, let's kill them all. Jesus is saying, no, that's going to happen later. I do that, you don't do that. I avenge, you don't avenge. So the answer is not take them out. But the answer isn't to escape either. There's not two separate fields. And I think I wonder if sometimes we we don't know how to live. You know, we don't know how to live in an unbelieving world, so we hide. You know, we sort of insulate ourselves. Um, Maybe it's through uh, spending only time with Christians. You know, you work at a Christian place, you work at a Christian company, and you go to your coffee with only your Christian friends, and you join the Christian book reading club, and you only listen to Christian music, on your CDs, when the CD skips, you put it only on Christian stations. You're preset only to Christian stations. And everything is Jesus, Jesus. You shop at the family bookstore, and all your shirt is Jesus wear. Everything has a fish on it, okay? And you're just in a Christian bubble. You, you're pretending like the world doesn't exist out there. Uh, someone just told me recently, not someone in this church, but they told me they stopped watching the news because they just can't watch all the bad stuff all the time. And so they turn that off and they just read a book. I get what he's saying, but it, it's so tempting, isn't it, to disengage from the world. I'm tired of seeing all the heartache. I'm tired of seeing all the pain. And so we have two natural reactions. One, Jesus wiped them out already when that shooting happened in, in Newton, Connecticut. I even texted, Lord, just come. Just, just come and just, just with the sword hanging out of your mouth and the tattoo on your thigh, just, I'm ready for you to just do that. Let, revelation six right now let's just this is crazy now, i wasn't saying let's all you know get our, our guns and let's start taking over and make sure people believe in jesus of course that's insane but we just we feel anger and we feel angered at the politicians and the people maybe the coworkers or the bosses or the people in our lives that just make it so difficult to be christian we get angry or we retreat and just just try to isolate ourselves and try to do as much as we can to disengage from the world. But Jesus is saying the kingdom is going to grow in the world. Even though there's weeds everywhere, it's still going to grow. And there will be a separation at the end, but the separation isn't now. Jesus is not saying live like them, (laughs) because the weeds are defined by the evil acts that they do, lawbreakers, the things that they do. He's not saying do the things that they do. So, We need to live our lives in this world, unlike this world. We need to be different, but not hide, show that we're different, be among them. And so this this isn't something that as we grow up and we see all the weeds around us, let's just all be chameleons. And at the end, he does the separation, like, oh man, I'm tired, I'm glad I don't have to hide anymore. It's not a message of hiding. You remember just a few chapters ago, he's saying you're the the light of the world. You don't light a candle and then put a a basket, a bowl on top of it. You You don't create a city that's full of lights and full of people and then try to build a huge wall to hide the city. You don't put salt on something so that it doesn't get preserved or so it doesn't get flavor. The salt affects that piece of meat or whatever it is. You guys are in this world to be light and to be salt. And so the answer can't be just Put blinders on and just just, you know, do Christian things and be with Christian people only and don't know anyone that's not Christian. Don't be associated with anyone not Christian. That, that can't be what he means. And then he proves it, because if you notice, this parable is split in half and then he puts two little parables in between like a sandwich. We just talked about the bread. Now I'm going to give you the meat. He gave the story. Then told two more stories, then came back and gave the explanation of the first story. That's all we've covered. Now, normally, I would leave those two and just do another sermon on them. But Matthew stuck them in between this story. It's almost like if you were watching a movie, then there's an intermission, and you watch two short episodes, and then the rest of the movie started again. And you leave like, that was horrible. What was the director thinking? Unless the only way you can understand The beginning and the end is if you get those two episodes in the middle. And I think that's why Matthew did this. They're short, they're small, but let's look at them because they unlock the power of this parable. And that's if you skip your eyes up to verse 31. He didn't explain the first one yet, at this point, but he gives two more parables. When Matthew collects the writings later, he goes, ah, Now that he explained the story of the the field and the weeds, now I get these two, why he told them, so I've got to stick them here in the middle. Look at the first one. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven, again, this is what the kingdom is like in the world, what what it's like. It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now remember, he tells these stories and then says good night. And so he's not giving them explanation. He gives the disciples explanation. The first one is about a, a mustard seed. Jesus said it's the smallest of all seeds. Now some nerds jump on, you know, wikipedia and they look up seed sizes and they're like that's actually technically not the smallest seed in the world so jesus was wrong therefore i'm not going to believe him he's just saying in a typical general experience of the palestinians in that time when they were going to plant stuff in their garden not oak trees and all kinds of just in their garden generally the mustard seed was the smallest and amongst those garden plants you got tomatoes i don't know three feet you got The asparagus just barely off the ground, you know, and then the mustard seed produces a tree, they say, between 8 to 10 feet. This tree, it's technically a shrub, but it's so big that they call it a tree. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this tiny seed. You don't think anything of it. It looks insignificant. It looks small. It looks weak. It looks like it can't produce anything. But when you plant it in the ground, it becomes a tree such that it provides something that none of the other plants can provide, a nesting place for other people. Now, scholars tell us that those birds that come and nest, the Old Testament has an imagery of birds being equivalent to Gentiles. So he's saying this, this tree that started, this kingdom that started with the Jews and came through a Jewish person, Jesus Christ, grew and was able to, to bring people in from all over the place. It's going to be so uh, expansive that people from all kinds of different places will be able to make a dwelling place in this kingdom that maybe weren't initially a part of that kingdom. They're going to be grafted in, they're going to be brought in, they're going to make a tent, a dwelling place, they're going to nest in this tree. This tree is going to bless other people. So something that starts tiny becomes expansive and influential enough to bring other people in. And that's what the kingdom is like. Parable number two in between here. It's a parable of a woman and she's, she's baking, and she has three measures of flour. Now I had to kind of look behind that a little bit. That's equivalent to about uh, 50 pounds of flour. She must be feeding about hundred people. So this isn't normal. This isn't like the normal fam- you know food for a family of four or something. This is about as much dough as she can handle, you know herself. And she takes that, and what does she do with it? The kingdom of heaven is not the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in the three measures of flour until the entire batch was leaven. <laughs> I love this because when I first, when, you know, when I, I've read this parable before, and I just never stopped and camped out on it really that long. But leaven in the Bible normally is bad, isn't it? I mean, those of you that have, like, just read, read the Bible for a while, in the Old Testament, no leaven was allowed in the bread. When we take communion here at CFC, we do that flat matzah cracker. Why? Because there's no leaven in it. Because this represents the stainless, sinless, pure body of Jesus Christ. There was no sin. And in the Old Testament, leaven represented sin. Later, when Paul is writing, writing his letters to the churches, he's like, don't, don't allow sin to creep into the church because a little leaven is going to mess up the whole thing. Remember that? So leaven is always bad because it infects, it invades, it, it spreads its tentacles out and touches everything and just keeps growing and you can't stop it. You put a little bit in that bread and it just ruins the whole thing. Jesus takes that imagery and flips it. You guys are used to, you guys are used to a system where if you touch a dead corpse, you're unclean. Go kill an animal. If you, if, if you come in contact with, with uh, uh, somebody who's fornicating and you find out they're fornicating, but they touch you, you you're dirty. You know, uh, if, if you came in contact with blood, you're dirty. If you, if you touched a, a dead animal, you're dirty. Anything that was unclean would touch you, made you unclean. So there was nothing really to do to counteract. You wouldn't make the corpse clean. If you touched the leper, the leper wouldn't be healed. The leper would make you leprous. And so that's why leaven was such a good example of sin, because it, it's invasive and it, it, it infects. But now you fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus touches lepers and he doesn't get leprosy. They get clean. He touches a dead body and he doesn't get unclean. The dead body jumps out of the bed. And so Jesus uses this and flips it on his head and he says, the kingdom of heaven is going to reverse things, guys. The kingdom of heaven isn't going to be affected by the world. The kingdom of heaven is going to affect the world. But it's so much dough. It's so much batter. There's 50 pounds of it. And there's this little tiny thing. I like how, how Jesus said she hid it in there. You can't see it. And she wasn't hiding it from somebody. He's just saying once you put it in there, it's like you can't you can't see what she did there. You wouldn't know that was in there until you baked it and you realized this whole thing. is like five times the size that I thought it was going to be, you know, because of that little leaven that was snuck in there. And Jesus is saying there's this world and this system and people that are against it. Christianity and hate God and they're going to end up gnashing their teeth forever. but in this world we've planted seeds. We've planted seeds, and those seeds are going to grow and not hide from the world. They're not going to retreat from the world. They're going to affect the world for Jesus Christ. But we're small mustard seed, but we're tiny leaven. but there's a lot of weeds in the you know what? remember this. those people are going to be gathered one day and thrown into an eternal place of torment. And maybe the only out that they had was Jesus and you. What did you do? Did you salt them? Did you shed light on them? Or did you hide? I think think part of this parable is, look guys, there's going to be a, a great separation at the end, but the separation isn't now because there's still a chance for some of those weeds to be changed. There's still a chance for the kingdom to affect people and grow. And he's not just talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about numerical growth. You know, a lot of us were like, well, we should be against numbers. No, We should stop counting people. I get what, I get, I, I get what that is because some people, they just worship numbers. How many do we have in church today? Uh, you know, and then we just worship the number 100, and then we get there and we worship 200. Of course, it gets ridiculous. But when you read the book of Acts, Peter preached a sermon, And they tell us 3,000 men. That's not counting the families, the wives, the children. Somebody up in there had a scroll and was like, just to see, this is what Jesus was saying. That it would grow and it would be expanded." The very people that put Jesus on the cross were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? Repent and believe. He didn't give them a flowery message. He just gave them the truth. Repent. There's access. You can change. You don't have to be oppressed and under the thumb of the evil one forever. There's a way out. When that great day comes and the grand reaping happens, you don't have to be thrown into the fire. You can be gathered in the barn and shine like wheat in a field. You can enjoy the Father's kingdom. Guys, the only way people are going to hear that message is if we're loud. If we say it, we live it, and we put it out there. And so, what Jesus is saying with this parable is, guys, we're not going to take over with swords, we're not going to take over with guns. We're not going to take over the White House. Okay, guys, we're not going to, we should vote and we should be loud and we should explain to people what things mean biblically. But, but, but God is not interested in a, in, in, in a political party. He's not interested in, a, in taking over the government. He's already in control. Okay, the people that are sitting in their seats and the government positions that they're in are there because God put them there. That's Romans 13. What God wants from us is to be like leaven that influences everything it touches and starts the reversal of sin, the reversal of the spread of gangrene or whatever you want to liken sin to, we start reversing that. And people are influenced by us. And rather than you feeling tempted to go out with the guys and, you know, to do stupid things or look at stupid things, instead they feel influenced like, I'm tired of this cycle of garbage that I keep regurgitating and returning to, like a dog returning to its vomit. This guy's got life. This guy's got a marriage. This guy's got a family. This guy's got the life that it makes sense. This guy's got peace. We both got fired, and he's still he's still uh, whole, and, and he's still together, and I feel shattered. I feel depressed. I feel, you know, there's something different there. And so some God starts creating a longing in them to want that. That can't happen if we isolate ourselves, and it can't happen if we're just upset at them all the time. We need to pray for them. We need to live lives that are lives of salt, lives of light. Shine it. Sometimes it takes words. Let's not hide behind. I only use words if necessary. Use words. God gave us language. Take the person out to lunch. Talk to them. And, yes, it's scary because we're going to talk about things that really disrupt them, and we're going to sound weird, of course. We're wheat. We're not weeds. But God's giving us a promise. He's not saying everyone you talk to will be saved. He's saying the kingdom will expand. I was reading a commentary by Grant Osborne. He's a professor over at Trinity. Uh, I remember him. He wouldn't remember me. But he, he in his commentary, he makes this comment. I, it, just, it just struck a chord with me. He says, I wonder if these disciples would have ever dreamed in their wildest dreams that within 400 years of this time, the same Roman government that persecuted the Christians, crucified Christ, would become a Christian place. That their Greco-Roman gods would be replaced with Jesus. Or fast forward to now that uh, places that really try their best to stamp out Christianity, like China, have like a hundred million Christians there. You know, like a third of Korea is Christian. Latin America and Africa are booming. Uh, Modern day scholars are predicting that not only will they be sending more missionaries out than we are, but that they'll be sending missionaries to us because they're the ones taking over Christianity. This is not the hub of Christianity anymore. It's, It's on fire everywhere. And so it's spreading and it's out there and it's effective. But those people, they get loud even when there's a gun put to their heads. Somehow persecution backfires on the enemy and just grows the church. So let's get persecuted. And for us, by God's grace, our persecution is getting defriended on Facebook. That's about the extent of our persecution today. They won't do lunch with you anymore. They'll kind of not share their sandwich with you in the lunchroom anymore. I don't know. They, you know, it'll be catty. There'll be some drama. We're not going to get beheaded. So let's speak up. Let's impact people for Jesus. And let's pray that our church in this community, as we're starting to see more and more, let's, let's join that ever-expanding tree and bring people in here for Jesus Christ so that they can enjoy the Father's kingdom with us in eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, let's ask the uh, worship team to come forward. As we um, as we close in this song, uh, let, let's just let's just ask the Lord not only for opportunities to speak to people, to talk with people, to influence people, but for the boldness that we need to do to take those opportunities. When we need opportunities, the Lord will provide them. But we need boldness. Let's ask that He would fill us with the Spirit so we can take a hold of those opportunities and influence people for Jesus. Let's worship together. Stand if you're able.